the financial advisor is necessary and never goes away. But for the people that really want to become leaders, that's where you really have to become a business advisor. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it is all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. Your host is Peter Margaritas, the man whose name is pronounced like a cocktail, but spelled like an inflammation. Peter is the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of his business, The Accidental Accountant. Peter's goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 79. And today my guest is Ryan Parker, who's the CEO of Indicott Clay Products and the newly installed chair of the Nebraska Society of CPAs Executive Board. Endicott Clay Products manufactures quality bricks, thin bricks, pavers, and tile. You can see their work at the SunTrust Park in Atlanta, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, and at the Yale Medical Center, just to name a few. Our conversation will focus on the understanding of the process of adding value to your organization as you grow your career. What pieces and parts should you be thinking about if you aspire to become a leader within your organization? We also discussed the challenges of replacing a CEO who has been in the role for a number of years. Before we begin the interview, I'd like to talk about the first five episodes of this podcast that are qualified for CPE self-study credit under the NASBA category of personal development. Those interviews are with Clark Price, who's the retired CEO of the Ohio Society of CPAs, Mike Scorantino, who's the author of the book Gratitude Marketing, Tom Hood, who's the CEO of the Maryland Association of CPAs, Ed Mendelowitz, who's a partner in the accounting firm of Witham, Smith & Brown, and Carl Ulrichs, who's a human resource professional at the insurance company of Gregory & Appel. These episodes are located on the Business Learning Institute's self-study website, and they are mobile-friendly. Go to the website and create an account on your computer and purchase an episode. Now that you've done that, you can listen to the episode on your mobile device at any time, like on your daily commute or while you're working out or even at your desk. When you're finished, take the review and final exam on your mobile device or your computer. It's that easy. While all selected Improv is No Joke podcasts are available on my website, only those purchased through the Business Learning Institute self-study website are eligible for CPE self-study credit. You can get detailed instructions on how to create your account and purchase an episode by visiting my website at petermargaritas.com and clicking on the graphic, Listen, Learn, and Earn, Improv is No Choke podcast on the homepage. I hope you enjoy this exciting and flexible new way of receiving CPE credits. Also, I'm in the process of writing my next book, and it has a working title of Financial Storytelling, and I'm previewing content on my social media. So if you'd like to see the preview, connect with me on Facebook by searching The Accidental Accountant, on Twitter and Instagram, search P. Margaritas, and on LinkedIn, just search Peter Margaritas. Now, there are two Peter Margaritases in the greater Columbus area, but only one is a CPA. And for the holidays, you can purchase a personalized side copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, Using Improvisation to Create Positive Results in Leadership and Life for $14.99, and the shipping is free, by going to petermargaritas.com and clicking on the Available Now icon. In addition, you can download Improv is No Joke audiobook for $14.99 so you can listen on the go. You can receive a 10% discount by using the word improv at checkout. If you'd like to purchase a bulk order for your office or as gifts for your clients, contact me at peter at petermargaritas.com for a volume discount. So with that said, now let's get to the interview with Ryan Parker. Ryan, thank you so very much for uh, being a guest on my podcast today and carving out a little bit of your busy life uh, to spend with the conversation with me. I appreciate that a lot. You bet. Absolutely, Peter. So Ryan, why don't you... 
let my audience get familiar with you and a little bit about your background and, and just kind of, you're a CPA. How did, after you graduated, where did you go to work? How did you, how did you ascend from public accounting into the CEO role of a manufacturer? Well, it, uh, it really started from getting to know a client. And I think that's a fairly common story for a lot of people that are leaving public accounting. But in my case, I was uh, at Deloitte in the tax department and had been there several years. I uh, wasn't really looking to leave, but uh, had made my way to become a, a manager of the department. And uh, I got to know Endicott, the family, and the the operating businesses very well. And like I said, I wasn't really looking to leave, but it became just kind of a natural move for me uh, once I saw what kind of a product and environment that I could be a part of full time. And uh, it was a it was a big move, but looking back on it, it was pretty seamless. Um, there weren't a lot of surprises other than getting out here and starting to understand more uh, of what the world exists, you know, besides just debits and credits and tax returns. And I think the challenge really was how do I add value from a financial standpoint to a manufacturing company? Uh, what does that, what does that really entail? And how do you make the transition from being a CPA to becoming an executive? So I want to pick up on that piece, but you said you said something about the product. So I just want to touch on on your products because I can't do it justice in the intro because it's bricks, but it is just more than just bricks. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's a product that's been around for ten thousand years, so it's it's hard for the layman to get real excited. But what we do tends to be very, very high-end architectural-type work, and what sets us apart from most of our industry is just the the quality and the aesthetic value that comes from our product. And for many of the buildings that we've been fortunate to be a part of throughout the United States and Canada, especially when it's one of our, what we call an iron spot brick, um, it's very recognizable. I actually saw your product. I was visiting some family. Um in New Haven, Connecticut, and you guys did the Yale Medical Center. And I, I, I went and I walked, as I'm approaching this building, I'm going, that doesn't look like brick. It's kind of, sh- it just has shiny and the, 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 the building itself was not, you know, kind of boxy per se. It was, it was kind of, I don't know, contemporary is the right word, but it had a lot of different angles and shapes to it. But the closer I got to it, I, I went, oh my God, it is brick. And it, it, it was just, I, and I, I had taken a, a number of pictures and sent it to you because I was just so fascinated by it. And, and I can imagine that was not, um, uh, th- that that building had to be somewhat of a challenge for you guys. It it was a challenge. It's one of those that really stands apart uh, from most buildings on college campuses, and even at Yale, where it's typically a very traditional sort of of uh, university setting. But you're right. I mean, the the sheen and vibrancy from that product really sets it apart. I will say that, you know, in order to do that job, there were a lot of manufacturing issues that come into being able to do shapes of, of that particular size and, and dimension. I think for us, it's something that we enjoy doing. Sometimes we get burned by it, and uh, hopefully you have a, more, more jobs that go well than don't, but there's definitely some loss that you have to be comfortable with taking on when you do projects like that. I can imagine, and I can imagine the, the amount of, like a better term, scrap that uh, had to be tossed or refabricated or, or however in that process. Um, and, and actually, what I'll do is I, I have some of those pictures. I'll put them out on the uh, website with the show notes. So if anybody's really curious about seeing it, it is, it is, it was really, really cool. And it's still, and actually, I was in Atlanta this year and I saw the new SunTrust Stadium from, from afar, but I didn't realize at the time that you guys have done the bricks. So the next time I go back, I'll take some more pictures for SunTrust for you guys. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Well, we love stadiums, and uh, we love universities that have a very, very large endowment that can afford nice buildings. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, how many years have you been CEO at Endicott? Uh, Seven years now. Seven years now. So, you came in, and you went through the finance aspect of it, and you were CFO at one point in time, correct? 
Right, right. And then you may then you then you move to the presidency, uh, or the CEO of a family-owned business, but you're not family, which in itself I, I believe is somewhat unique. It is. So I, I'm the first non-family in this role, and um, really in its history since the the current family took ownership of it back in the the early '50s. You know, it presents challenges just like exist in all family-owned businesses, but it's also, I think, indicative of where a lot of companies go from a, you know, a, a real entrepreneurial first and possibly second generation to, you know, G3, G4, where changes take place. You know, and looking back even to my career when I was at Deloitte, if if some changes don't happen, it, it's usually the end of those companies in generation three, certainly by the time they get to generation four, because it just becomes too difficult to try to pull together fragmented ownership and family members that maybe don't understand the business as well as first generation, second generation. And I think that's really where some non-family uh, executive talent can come into a lot of companies and help with that transformation. But it, it's certainly uh, it's not an easy process, and it's it's not easy for whether it's a CPA or anyone else that's stepping into that role, and it's also not easy for the shareholders to really get into a new role where family that may or may not have grown up in the business start to become knowledgeable about the business and what they need to do to become a, a great shareholder because that's that's a lot easier said than done. Exactly, and, and I think in our conversations we've had, you, you've your board per se consists of three: the two family shareholders and yourself, and two beats one. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> and, and, that's right. And, and any type of vote, yeah, sixty-six percent beats the thirty-three percent, uh, which I, I can just imagine that that provides some additional challenges. Um, but you've been there for seven years. In conversations that we've had. You've you've kind of figured out because you, you mentioned earlier about that value because you know as growing up as a as a CPA and and going into the, the the CFO role, how do we add value to the organization? And I, I think at that level we might not see it as clearly until we're sitting at the desk, uh, being the CEO or being the president of the organization trying to move it forward. Then that value becomes a lot clearer than it was prior to. Would that be a fair statement? Oh, absolutely, Peter. I mean, the thing when I look back to when I was at Deloitte that I, I really didn't fully understand and I think is hopefully an important takeaway for the audience is that when you're in a public accounting role and maybe if you're at a staff manager or associate level and then coming into private industry or if you're even continuing in on that role for your clients, the trick is really to become an advisor you know, a, a consultant, it, it pays the bills, but it, it doesn't generate revenue. And when you can turn the corner, and I, I, I look back to those years, those early years where you're going from an associate and you're cranking out tax returns or you're one part of an audit process and you get through that and it does, it, it is necessary, but it's not valuable to the client or to your company. And the trick is when you can turn that corner and now you're starting to create work and that work then becomes something that, that you're feeding to other people in your organization. But when you're going from compliance driven on a daily basis to planning ideas and then taking the next step to industry knowledge and the final step is really to company value, when you can add value by understanding the full gamut. And it's not necessarily that you have to be, say, a marketing uh, professional or a salesperson or understand HR or safety, but you have to understand what drives, what from those areas, how does that drive the financial side and be able to tie that together and challenge not only the status quo, but where you want to be going in the future with those. And, and once you get to that point, that's when value really starts to get created. So I, I, I hear what you're saying. And the, the first thing that comes to my mind is something that the AICP has been talking about for years. 
We want our members to be the trusted business advisor for their clients and customers. Not the trusted financial advisor, the trusted business advisor. And I think that's what you're describing, but we have a hard time as as a profession of, of making to some degree that connection because we're so financially driven that we might not completely understand the operations of the business from the sales, the marketing, the human resource, from those aspects. So, so we don't know the, the business in totality. We know a piece of it. And the more that we can become that business advisor truly brings the value to the organization. Well, that's exactly right. I, I look back at the people in my professional career that have been a business advisor, the financial portion of that is at times very small. A lot of times it really boils down to having conversations about people or pricing or customers that nobody wants to have. Or in a family-owned situation, talking about family members, talking about the future of family, who should have control, who should be voting, Uh, what an estate plan really needs to look like, challenging why we're setting it up this way, not being afraid to ask questions that long-term matter a great deal. The the financial advisor is necessary and never goes away. But for the people that really want to become leaders, that's where you really have to become a business advisor. But it's a very, very small percentage of, of certainly of the accounting world, and and even outside the accounting world, it's a difficult thing to get to. I can I can I can imagine that. And uh, having that, and you said having total understanding of the industry that you're in, and, and and the regulations surrounding your industry, as well as new regulations that could impede your business. We had spoken recently that uh, you actually testified in Congress about some regulation that was coming to play that could have an, that would have an effect on your business. Could you elaborate on that? Sure, sure. I'm, uh, you know, I, that was one of those experiences where you go into it not really understanding what it's going to look and feel like, and and I think I still might have a few arrows stuck in my backside <laughs> from that process. But, it, it, you know, it, it's one of those where you know I testified before a House subcommittee, and it's a privilege to be able to do that for our industry, and I was happy to. The difficulty becomes trying to have people that have a, a decision made up in their mind to be open and to, to actually listen. And Peter, one of the things that I've always enjoyed about your presentations is how you really drill upon people that they need to have active listening. And I love your last word exercise and, and all of those things that are meaningful when it comes to effective communication. I can tell you none of that happens in a House subcommittee. <laughs> I can, yeah, you can you can tell. I mean, they yeah, they yeah. <laughs> it, it's very clear from the get go. Yeah, they've already made up their mind. Uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren has already made up her mind that we audit every transaction that ever happens in a company when we know that's not true, but that's the perception. And, and to change that mindset is uh, somewhat difficult, especially like you said when they're not listening. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's one of those where there's certainly a very very large percentage of, of the people that you're there talking to that they've made up their mind. You're just hoping that you can get one or two swing people to at least maybe give give the, the issue some thought and to be open to maybe some further discussion. And if you can move the needle that much, I would call it a success. So do you think you were successful during this process up, up at Congress with the subcommittee? Well, I think so. I mean, the bill is still pending. But um, I know as a result of the hearing that we were able to have some follow-up meetings. I, you know, it, it certainly is a process that, that is time-consuming and frustrating. But I don't know that it's so much different than running a company. And you, know, you make incremental progress, and hopefully we make incremental progress here every day. So if, if you look at it maybe from that standpoint, I don't know that it's it's really so much different. It just happens to be a much more public setting. Yeah, and as I'm thinking about this, that process of, of testifying and preparing and, and going and doing 
had to take you away, had to take your eye off the ball, and your ball is to drive this company forward, revenue generation, opportunities. But now you've had to kind of take a sidestep here uh, and, and kind of that, that focus had, had to shift to something that it, it was it was important to the company to, to get this out there, but it, it got away from the day-to-day uh, of what you do. Well, it, yes and no. I mean, it certainly required the, the travel and the time and, and uh, the testimony and preparation. But at the same time, this was an issue that was so significant for our company and our industry that um, it would have been a game changer for us and still could be. So I, I think that's where you know, as a company and for my role, you have to pick and choose the battles. And that's one of those where I just had to put the time into it. So hopefully some good things will come from it yet. Yeah, hopefully uh, they, they do. And and running uh, any business at, at that level, the, the vision, the, the, the ability to take risks, the, the listening, the, the development of people, it, it, it's all, that's all such a huge challenge. And for somebody who, if we look at think about a stereotypical CPA, which, which you're not, but that assimilation from CFO to, to CEO, as we were talking, that that for many that is really that's that would be really really difficult because it's the people aspect of the business. Well, it, that piece of it is difficult. I've I've always maintained that if I had a hundred CPAs lined up against the wall or a hundred people, <laughs> and there was one of them that was a CPA, I could pick them out. <laughs> it's you know we 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 tend to be cut from kind of the same cloth, and the people side of what just comes natural to to us that's a difficult thing for almost everyone in our industry to get to, and you have to be willing to kind of go out on a limb and embrace that change and that unknown and it it doesn't come easy. But if you're not willing to embrace it, you're you're going to fail. Is the bottom line, you know the the easiest thing ever is just to react to a situation. The second easiest is when you just respond, and the absolute hardest is to initiate it. And once you can initiate that change, whether it's for your own personal self development or for the company, I think that's where you really start to feel like you've become what you want to become as a professional. That's, I, I like that. I, I, I really do like that analogy. And kind of to some segues into this next piece of initiating and moving forward your career and being the newly installed chair of the Nebraska Society of CPAs Executive Board. And you got put into a unique situation because uh, soon after you were president-elect from, I think, Please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the CEO Dan, I believe, um, said that he was retiring uh, midway through 2018, which is on your shift. Yeah, I'm hoping that that's not a reflection of me, <laughs> and just unfortunate timing on my part. And that's good. you know taking taking on that challenge is 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 a challenge. Well, it, you know the the thing with any time that there's a, a major change at the top of an organization. I think the thing that you really have to think about, if, if you're involved with that, whether if you're on the board, uh, if you happen to be the chairman in my case, or you're part of some sort of a transition committee, is trying to become a futurist. You know, what is it that you see for the society, for our profession? And what type of a person would be the best to, to make that happen? And that that's an interesting challenge to be a part of. And, you know, that could be whether it's a public accounting firm, industry, or in our case now for our, our Nebraska Society of CPAs. And I think you have to kind of forget about your your personal agenda with that and really look at it from the profession. And it, it does bring on some interesting challenges and thoughts and you know, and when we had our last board meeting, the thing that I, I really stressed our group and we're now spending some time on is let's take a look at what we really want our strategic goals and initiatives to look like. What is it that when we're talking to a candidate or candidates, what is it that we're really looking for? You know, and, and for me, I'm my big three areas right now are the membership itself and how do we add value and growth to our membership? 
what are the continuing education needs and what form will that need to look like? And then finally, what, what are we doing for mentoring and how are we developing the next generation of accountants that are coming into our profession and hopefully attracting them into the society? Well, I, I'll, I'll say this. If you figure out all three of them, you can package it and you can make a ton of money because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think every state, I think every association in, in general is trying to figure out that, that same piece. Uh, and I know that you know, a lot of the CPA societies uh, around the United States are trying to figure out the same thing. I've heard that there are like 17 new state execs over the last three to four years. And Dan had been with the Nebraska Society for how many? Oh, nearly 30. Nearly 30 years. And obviously, over the last 30, 30 years, things have changed. But we're going into a period of, of, of really rapid change. So as, as you're sitting there trying to think of this person, it's it's that visionary part that really is important for you and the board or who, whoever the selection committee is, is to, is to draw that out of that candidate and, and say, what do you, I, lack of a better term, where do you see this profession? Where do you see this association five years from now? And it sounds like a, like an interview question that where do you see yourself in five years in your job? I got it, but what do you how we put how do we push this in in a direction that as you said brings value to the membership? Well, and that's that is a huge challenge, and that's that's for every state in the country in our societies because for us specifically in Nebraska, we've been very fortunate to have an executive that has led us in a fantastic way for nearly three decades. But where we are today, it, I just have the sense that we are, we're nearing a fork in the road where there are more things changing for our profession right now than I think have, have happened for uh, maybe forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you start to look at things like nano learning, uh, offshore staffing, the needs of big four and their hiring of accounting students and where those students are going to come from. And you look at the likelihood of some of those firms dramatically changing in size and organizational shape, that that presents challenges all the way through the profession. And I think it even extends into private industry because, well, like somebody like myself, you know, I'm coming from a pyramid structure at Deloitte where I can either stay there and try to make partner where I leave and I'm going to private industry. Well, if that pyramid structure changes and you're now starting out with people in India, I don't know how you get people to come into private industry that understand how an audit works or how a tax return is prepared and trying to get people then to come in and be a manager or a senior manager in some of those firms. Where are you tracking them from? I mean, it, it, we are at a different place today as a profession than ever before. And it, it's going to take, so I think it's definitely going to take a different type of individual to lead our state societies and, and also the AICPA. I mean, it's, it is just a very, very different time for us as a profession. Oh, very, excuse me, very much so uh, with the impact of technology. With, with, but, you know, when you think about membership, and I think, and I, I don't know this, but I, I can only reflect on a few states that I do know of, that, that you guys are, Nebraska is unique because to be a member of the Nebraska Society of CPAs, you have to have your certificate, you have to have your license. You have, to be, you have to be a member of the CPA club. And if you're not a member of the CPA club, you're not invited. And in, in, in essence, there's no student type of membership. That's right. That's right. We do not have student memberships here. And, and that's, pretty uncommon. But, you know, those are all things that I think are going to get looked at as we move forward, because we have to be able to capture new members coming through. And our membership is, you know, we've been fortunate to be, I think, steady with our membership over the years. But the challenge is, uh, you know, as people and those entry-level positions are being outsourced overseas, or you're having a difficult time connecting with them because they don't necessarily see the value of being in the club. Right. Now you have this giant hole that exists within your society. And does the future look like state societies? Do we eventually get to a regional <laughs> sort of society? 
where does the the legislative and lobbying side of of having an individual standalone state society where does that go in the future it's an interesting time but it certainly adds a lot of complexity when you're trying to become that futurist and find a CEO that's going to lead that organization, hopefully for the next 20, 30 years. Yeah, that, that, that's true. And, and that, as you were describing, so the, the, the potential, re, you know, if we did regionalization, and then you brought in the advocacy piece, I'm sitting there thinking, well, we might have, we might be able to do shared services per se out of one location. But I think from the legislative side, there, have, there would have to be a key person. Uh, a legislative person uh, on staff, so they could be at the uh, at the legislature at a drop of the dime and have those relationships versus a, a regional type of relationship, kind of that visionary type of thing. Should that that occur? And the other thing I think about is Dan's been there for you said thirty years. It's hard to come in after a legend leaves. It's hard to come in after Bob Devaney leaves. It's hard to come in after Tom Osborne leaves and be the, be the next coach. Because after 30 years, I imagine this person is going to hear, well, that's not the way Dan would have done it. Or, or, or Dan would have done it differently. And, and, I, and in that self, that, that brings on a lot of challenges as well. Well, it, it does. And I mean, I can tell you just from, from personal experience, I, I walked into a situation like that here where you've got two brothers that have successfully run a company for decades and you're coming in behind them. The fortunate thing for me, and I think the fortunate thing for our, the next CEO of our society is they're not going away. It's not like they are you know, sailing off into the sunset and they're never around. I think if you can somehow tap into their knowledge, embrace their values, and, and find where they can continue to have the continuity that you need, that's, that's where you have success. And, you know, I don't care if it's a college football program or a public accounting firm. If you have somebody that was a managing partner or a head coach that was very successful, the last thing in the world you should be doing is alienating them from the program or your, your company. Use them to your advantage and have them be part of the team, whatever that is. I mean, you have to figure that out, but it's not easy, but it's a heck of a lot better than walking into a situation where the last guy just got fired because they were terrible and the cupboards are empty. So use it to your advantage. Well, that's, that's a very interesting approach because I think a lot of times it may, not, it, it may start off that way, but then that, that relationship may tend to deteriorate because of, I'm, I'm done with it, I appreciate it, it's not on my watch or, or whatever, and it takes more on the role of the new exec to kind of figure it out after maybe a little bit of time with, with, with spending with the, uh, the one who's, who's leaving. But if, if that relationship can be forged, yeah, I think, it may, I think it makes those waters a lot smoother, but I think it's a, a challenges in getting that type of uh, uh, agreement or relationship for a period of time, uh, you know, a couple, two, three years, maybe. Well, and I think that's where, you know, you talked about that two or three years. I, I think that's where the board plays an important role because you have to do everything in your power to encourage the, uh, a successful transition where the, the person that is now the day-to-day has somebody that they can go to not that the person that just retired is still day to day and wants to put their thumb on everything. They, they have to be in a position where they can be a resource, but you know, that doesn't always happen, but that's really where when you're serving on a, on a board, that needs to be a priority for you. Make sure that that happens. And sometimes the person that's leaving does that on their own and it's not, not easy but it's more simple than, than a lot of other situations. The, the goal really needs to be for the board to make, make certain that the new person coming in has a working relationship with the last person that just left. And that might be 10 hours a week. It might be 10 minutes a week that it has to be there. And certain people are going to want to still deal with the last person that was you know, sitting at that seat. It, it, it's a lot easier when it's a seamless transition and the guy can kind of pass things along 
as opposed to just coming in new and not having anybody to rely on for the difficult conversations. Right. So if the board is on, is on task, the outgoing CEO is agreeable and the new person understands where the challenges are, then you can address those and you can have success with that, with that transition. Short of that, it becomes an awfully bumpy road. Yes. And let, let me ask you this question. Um, and I think we had this conversation before. Does this person need to be an association exec or a CPA or does it matter? We're leaving it open as part of our search process. And I think there are a lot of differing opinions on it. My take is it has to be the right person for the job that can really focus on, you know, going back to what, what we have for our strategic plan for our future. And if that's a CPA that can do those things, I think it's wonderful. And I, I think that they can relate to membership probably a little quicker than just an association exec. But at the same time, if an exec is coming in from whatever association, they can show that they can do that and they have that vision and drive. I'm personally open to it, but it, I know there's a lot of different opinions out there about what the right recipe is. Yeah, I mean, we had that some years ago when, when Clark Price retired. Do we look for an association exec or do we look for a CPA or, or what? And, and there were different opinions. I think that the profession has changed so dramatically over the last 30 years that the, the ability to have, to have an understanding of, of our language the, the accounting language and, and and some of the challenges that makes that assimilation a lot easier than somebody coming in from like the medical association or a, a you know, human resource association into the role not not completely understand under, they understand the association but maybe not the the, the language or the makeup of the membership um, and, and that can be somewhat of a of a of a steep uh, learning curve in order to, especially if their if their personalities is much is very different from their membership. Well, you're you're right, Peter, and you know I, I kind of tie that back to one of the things we were talking about earlier. Where are, are you a, a business advisor or just a financial advisor? You know, if you're making that leap from compliance planning and general industry knowledge to now all of a sudden knowing knowing all the issues that go into your company and whether that's a, a company in private industry, a public accounting firm or a state society, if you understand those issues, you're going to do the job well. Now, does that need a CPA? Possibly. And I think your point is valid where there are a, a lot of things that have changed where our industry is so much more complex. I'm sorry, I should have said profession. I don't like when people say industry. <laughs> that our profession has changed, that I think it gives somebody a leg up. But if the right person comes along that's not a CPA, that is willing and able and can demonstrate that they've done that before, uh, I'm open to it. Uh, that, that's great. And, and I hope that, um, I know you're in the middle of, uh, or just starting that, that process, and I hope you guys come to a conclusion quick and you get the right person in the role and the society continues to prosper in the future and uh, maintain that membership base. This past year, I've been in Nebraska four times. Last time I was in Nebraska, I think I was 12 years old. And it, I, don't, I, I can't explain this other than to say that the people that I've met there have made me feel like I'm part of a family. And I, I don't feel that way at some other states that I, that I visit, but you've got a very unique membership. I, I've, I've enjoyed all four times I've been. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to coming back. And, and the members have just been nothing short of just absolutely delightful. You've, you've got a really good group there. Well, we do. We're very fortunate. I think there's a lot to be said for CPAs in general. But I'm obviously a little biased being in the Midwest that uh, I, I think that we've got, generally speaking, uh, a population here that is world class. And I look around our society, our board, and our company here, and we have so many tremendous employees. And, you know, I've, I've always said, and even for some of our best employees here, 
I don't care what their degree is, um, how far they've, they've went educationally. When they can show that they know their position and they've done it day after day, you know, whether it's 10 below or 110 degrees outside <laughs> and they're showing up and they're doing their job better than anybody that I've, I've ever seen. We're just fortunate in that regard. And the only thing that we're missing are, um, you know, mountains or an ocean to get more population here. <laughs> but for the people that we have, we're very fortunate. <laughs> and I was very fortunate to come out in uh, January of this year and spend some time with your sales team. And a great group of people made me feel very welcome. Uh, and, and talking to a few people around, around the plant, it, it was, it, it's a, it's a, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, it's a really cool company and it, it's, it fascinating because we have, I, I've had this conversation with a couple times about your role in this and, and, and the way that you're, you're being seven years and, and how you're growing the company and you guys get some really cool projects that you've been a part of and you're, you're what, an hour west of Lincoln, is that correct? Yeah, I'm about an hour southwest. Southwest. And I remember when I was driving out there, and I think you even told me in the email, when it says to turn on the dirt road, your GPS, just go ahead and follow your GPS. It's not taking you out of the way. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not exactly in the middle of nowhere, but we can see it from here. <laughs> and it's, it, was, it was a really great time. Um, as we wrap up, what advice... Would you give someone who's in, maybe they've been in the profession for about five years and they're looking to become a leader within an organization, what advice would you give them on how to achieve that? What, whether it's through education, whether it's through perseverance, what, what, what would be that advice that you would give this person? Well, the first thing that, that I would say is find a mentor that that you really, really hold in high regard, you know, whether that's within your company or outside of it, find out what they've done, find out how they have, have climbed the ladder and the values that, that they've embraced, what level of work they've taken on and understand and be honest with yourself. Is that what I really want? Because I've seen too often where people think that they want to be a CEO or they think that they want to be a partner and they either get into the role or they get close to it. And it's like, man, there's no way I want to be dealing with that level of risk and issues and thinking about stuff 24-7. And you have to be honest with who you are and what you really want. But when you decide that you want that, if you really want to become an executive or partner within your firm, do whatever is needed when it comes to understanding all the issues. Don't leave a stone unturned. I mean, you, you have to challenge yourself on a daily basis. And you'll be surprised at how many times you pick up a stone and look underneath of it, and all of a sudden there's opportunity. And you might go 19 times out of 20 and there's nothing. That one time is the time that you can really add value. And, you know, I like your, your word of perseverance because I don't care if you're 27 years old and doing that or 67 years old and doing it, the, the stones are still the same. You know, you just got to keep pushing yourself to keep looking under them and find out what it is. But if you can find a mentor that, that gives you that vision, uh, that is really priceless. That's great advice. Uh, and you're right. Keep, keep turning those stones over. Uh, the, the, as I'm listening to you, the thought that comes into my mind is accept failure as a learning opportunity, uh, not as a punishment. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite questions to my kids is, uh, what'd you fail at today? Oh, wow. How old are your kids? Remind me. Uh, 17, 15 and nine. Okay. And it's not that I want them to fail their science test, <laughs> but, but, but if it's a deal where, well, dad, I tried to, you know, this new thing at recess, or I tried to, you know, I was at writing the other day and we tried this and it didn't go so well. Good. You're pushing yourself. I mean, I, I want to know that they're pushing themselves to the point where 
hopefully you're learning from the failure and it's not just showing up as an F on a, on a test somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I'm, I don't think my son listens to my podcast, but uh, I, I would, <laughs> I, I love the question. I've never thought about that question and saying, what have you failed at today um, with my son? I've, I've, I, I, go, what, I always say, what have you yes and today? But I'm, I'm, I'm going to change that a little bit and because and, I like that. Uh, I'm a big believer in, and you know what? Failure is a learning opportunity. Now, if you fail at the same thing over and over and over again, that, that's, a, that's much more than a learning opportunity. But, and I don't think I really understood it until I started my own business and thinking about the times that, that, you know, okay, this didn't work. Now let's figure this out. Do we need to retool it? Do we need to do this? How do we get this? How do we put it back after? What, what did you do? What do we need to do differently and, and constantly push yourself? I, I think that's great advice for uh, anybody who really wants to become a, a leader who wants to be having a, a, an effect in, in their profession, in their organization, in, in their community. And I think we've gotten away from mentorship per se, and, and I don't know why. I, I don't know if it's we're not putting ourselves out to say, you know what, if somebody would like me to be their mentor, uh, as long as we have that, that connection, and the, then yeah, I'm here use me i don't i don't know are, are, are we still using mentors are we still developing mentors are we, are we doing that these days or is that kind of a past event well i i i think it's become a little bit of a past event and i'm i'm fearful that mentor suddenly becomes well i, I checked out my twitter feed um <laughs> yeah it, it needs to be something a little bit more than that and it, you know a lot of companies embrace the designated mentor and I've always kind of felt that if somebody is designating somebody to be my mentor, that's forced on me and it's forced on them. I'm, I'm more talking about a natural sort of occurrence. And it may be something where you just have to identify the person that, that you respect and ask them to lunch or go grab a cup of coffee and you know, ask them. Just ask them the questions that you want the answers to. But I, th I think we're starting to get away from it. But my challenge to young CPAs is to embrace it. And, and certainly for the people that have 20, 30, 40 years of experience, challenge yourself to become a mentor. I mean, that, that can be, you can impact people's lives in a way that you never did just from a day-to-day -day sort of standpoint. If you can ask a question of somebody that's coming up in, in the profession and they feel like they just got hit in the face by a two by four. That's a great question. And probably nobody else is asking it. Uh, very well said. I completely agree. And, and I, as, as describing this, I'm going, have we turned the mentors? Are we saying the same thing when we say, are you the weakest link in the five people you associate yourself with? Because you, you want to surround yourself with, 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 with the best and the brightest, and you want to be perceived as the weakest link out of that group. Um, and maybe that's what the role of mentorship is because I, I, I think over my career, I've had more than one mentor and, you know, I, I, sometimes it's been formal. Sometimes it's kind of been informal, like inviting someone on your podcast to have a conversation. As I think about that, I, I, I would say I've learned a lot from you over this past year of getting to know you that I, I would consider you a mentor because I'm the weakest link out of that five and the, 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 the conversations around the family business, the conversations about the profession, the conversations that we're having today also has an effect on the audience and how they, how they perceive things. And if I can learn something new every day from somebody and I learned something today from you, Hey, Steven, what have you failed at today? I, I will take that and run with that. And maybe that's maybe it's more of an informal mentoring ship. But I think if we acknowledge the fact that we're learning from others uh, who who have been there, done that, I, I think it goes a long way in helping us drive that career, becoming that leader. And 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 a, and a quote that I've been using lately about what true leadership is. It's a little blend between Simon Sinek and myself. Is is true leadership is having a positive effect on another human being. It has nothing to do with the title or nothing to do with authority. It's the way, it's the effect that you have on another person in a positive way. That's leadership. Well, that, that's absolutely right. That is leadership. And take advantage of it when you can. 
because at some point down the road, if you do all the right things, those people above you are gone. All of a sudden you're looking around and you're the guy, you're the person that everyone's looking to. And you know, that, that's the moment where all of a sudden it, it gets a little lonely and you have to be comfortable with being a little bit lonely. And when you become managing partner, CEO, you know, there's, there's really nobody else around. Take advantage of those opportunities when you're younger and you're growing up to get that knowledge. That's great advice. Ryan, I, I can't thank you enough for spending time. This has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. Great wisdom parted on this audience. And if anybody would like to contact you, would you like me to put your email out on the, the show notes? Uh, if anybody would like to just contact you directly? Sure, that'd be fine. It, it's easy. It's just rparkeratendicott.com or you can also look me up on LinkedIn. Great. So uh, thank you again. Uh, I, I wish you the best of luck in, in your search. Give my best to your lovely wife, Patty, and the kids and, and, and have a, I can't believe I'm saying this. It just, it just seems like we just started this year. Have a happy Thanksgiving, a Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. Well, uh, all the same to you, Peter, and uh, hopefully we'll get you back into Nebraska soon. I'm looking forward to my next visit. Sounds good. I would like to thank Ryan again for sharing his knowledge and experiences on adding value to your organization. A lot of great advice. And remember to surround yourself with those who have been there and done that and learn from them. They're your mentors, and they're the key to your future success. In episode 80, my guest is Boyd Search, who is the CEO of the Georgia Society of CPAs, and our conversation focuses on changing an organization's culture. So in parting, remember to use the principles of improvisation to help you better connect and communicate with those in your organization and in your life. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.